Hello all. Welcome to the 46th episode of Snippets. I am Dr. Komal Parekh, resident in Shankar Netralaya, Chennai and your host for today. So today's podcast is about myasthenia gravis. The word myasthenia comes from the fusion of Greek word for muscle and weakness, the word gravis, a Latin word which means severe. So myasthenia gravis is a potentially serious but a treatable disease. And today we have with us Dr. Shikha Basi, who is the Deputy Director in the Department of Neuro-Ophthalmology in Shankanetralaya, Chennai. She also heads the Navsuja branch of Shankanetralaya. She has been hosting the cataract updates for 19 sessions now. And she has been practicing Neuro-Ophthalmology for past 15 years. Welcome ma'am and over to you. Thank you, Komal and Team Snippets, for giving me this opportunity to participate in this episode of Snippets where we will be covering this disease called Myasthenia Gravis. I'll be covering this disease under the following headings the etiology, pathogenesis, signs and symptoms, diagnosis, and lastly, the treatment and prognosis. Autoimmune myasthenia gravis is a disease of neuromuscular junction, clinically presents as muscle weakness with fatigability caused by an autoimmune dysfunction which leads to a decreased number of acetylcholine receptors at the neuromuscular junction. It occurs in around 4 to 5 per lakh population, afflicts younger women and older men more commonly. Coming to its etiology and pathogenesis, antibodies to acetylcholine receptors cause a reduction of acetylcholine receptors to almost less than one-third of its normal numbers. These antibodies are present in 80-90% to 90% of generalized myasthenia gravis patients, but they don't necessarily correlate with the disease severity. What is seen is that after starting treatment, if these antibody titers are brought to 50% of its initial value, then it's associated with marked clinical improvement. Another thing is that antibody negative myasthenia patients have either a very mild disease or they have a localized disease just as in ocular myasthenia. Coming to the signs and symptoms, the hallmark of the disease is variability of strength of the affected muscles. And the most commonly affected muscle is levator palpebral superioris, followed by other extraocular muscles and lastly orbicularis in the eye. In generalized myasthenia, the proximal muscles are involved. The neck's, neck extensors are very commonly involved. LPS and extraocular muscles are initially affected in 70% of cases and eventually in 90% of patients. The ptosis may be unilateral or bilateral, worse in the evenings, absent in the mornings and gets worse with repeated lid closures. An important sign is ptosis enhancement sign where when you lift up one of the eyelid, the other eyelid droops down. It happens due to the Herring's law of equal innervation. Another important sign is Kogan's lid twitch sign, which is characteristic of myasthenia. 
How do we do it? Make the patient look down for 10 to 20 seconds and then make him look straight in the primary position. The upper eyelid elevates and then droops down and as it's drooping down it twitches several times before settling into a stable position. You can also see sometimes lid retraction in myasthenia gravis and it can be because of the post-tetanic facilitation in myasthenia patients or sometimes you can have thyroid eye disease associated with myasthenia. One wonders why this preference for ocular muscles. Uh, nobody knows for sure but there are certain theories given in regards to that. First is that 80% of ocular muscle fibers are single innovated twitch fibers. Secondly, the eye muscles may be more easily available to the circulating antibodies. And lastly, the symptoms in the eye appear sooner than in generalized myasthenia gravis. Minimal weakness in the eye muscles leads to early symptoms and hence early detection. Abnormalities of extraocular muscles may mimic oculomotor nerve palsies, internuclear ophthalmoplegia or gaze palsies. Medial rectus is commonly affected and can cause pseudomyopia and it can simulate internuclear ophthalmoplegia. Now, if the patient has generalized weakness, the neck extensor muscles are commonly affected as I said before and it can lead to a condition called neck ptosis. Another important thing is myasthenic crisis which means when the muscles of respiration or swallowing are involved, the patient is considered to be myasthenic crisis. Coming to the diagnosis, the clinical tests for myasthenia Two important clinical tests are sleep tests and ice tests. In sleep tests, it is shown that sleep improves ptosis and extraocular movement. So, patient is made to sleep for 30 to 40 minutes and we can take a photo before and after the sleep test. And uh, the improvement which occurs, it lasts only for 2 to 5 minutes and we can compare the uh, before and after photographs. In ice tests, local cooling from 35 degrees to 28 degrees using an ice pack kept for 2 minutes on the eyelid improves the ptosis by 2 millimeters and this effect lasts only for 1 minute duration. So the test is considered positive if the ptosis improves by 2 millimeters. The pharmacological testing requires the use of anticholinesterase uh, agents like Tensilon, which is called Edrophonium Chloride. Edrophonium Chloride is a rapidly acting and quickly hydrolyzed anticholinesterase agent. An IV dose of 10 mg is usually used. Once the position of eyelids is verified, a test dose of 2 mg is injected and the patient is observed for any idiosyncratic reaction or any improvement in doses. If there is an improvement in doses, then the test is considered positive and you stop there. If there is no improvement, then you can give the remaining 8 mg either as a bolus or you can give in again 2 mg increments. If there is no improvement after 3 minutes, then the test is negative. And if there is improvement, then it is considered positive. 
Another anticholinesterase that is used in children and in patients with diplopia is neostigmine. It has a longer duration of action. Hence, it's used in children. Coming to the electrophysiologic test for myasthenia, there are two important tests. One is repetitive nerve stimulation test. And here we elicit a decremental response wherein it's considered positive. And uh, it is a fairly sensitive test. It has a sensitivity of about 95%. Single fiber EMG is the most sensitive test, it has a very high sensitivity for myasthenia gravis. Anti-acetylcholine receptor antibody assay is a blood test that can be done. It's a standard diagnostic test. It's not detectable in around 15% of patients and it's positive only in 50% of patients with ocular myasthenia. MRI chest should be done in all patients to rule out thymoma as thymomas are present in around 10% of patients with myasthenia and two-thirds of patients with myasthenia have thymic hyperplasia. Coming to the treatment, the treatment includes anticholinesterase agents, immunosuppressive drugs and surgery for thymic hyperplasia. Rarely these patients require squint or ptosis correction surgery also. Pyridostigmine bromide or mestinone is the most widely used drug for the treatment of myasthenia. The onset of action is within 30 minutes and peaks in 1 to 2 hours. The most common side effect is diarrhea. The immunosuppressive drugs that are commonly used are the steroids. These are added to the anticholinesterase agents in case of insufficient response. Double vision responds well to steroids. Improvement begins 2 to 3 weeks after the treatment. Sometimes there is a transient steroid-induced exacerbation in some patients. Azathioprine can be started in patients where the steroids are not able to produce improvement or cannot be given for a prolonged period. Other immunosuppressive drugs that are used for treatment of myasthenia are cyclosporin, cyclophosphamide, mycophenolate, morphetal. Plasmapheresis or plasma exchange and intravenous immunoglobulins are used in patients with myasthenic crisis where you need an acute response, though the effect lasts for a short period of time. Thymectomy is the surgery done for removal of thymus. It can be considered in patients between puberty and 50 years of age who are inadequately controlled on mestinone. Surgery results in clinical improvement in 85% of patients with 35% having drug-free remission and 50% requiring reduced drugs after the surgery. In elderly, the surgery is difficult due to involution of the thymus. All the patients with thymoma should undergo a surgery. A word about neonatal myasthenia. Children born to myasthenic mothers have, new, have a weak suck and cry and have generalized weakness due to the passive transfer of myasthenic antibodies from the mother. And this condition abates spontaneously in 2 to 3 weeks as the antibodies are cleared. Juvenile myasthenia is an autoimmune disease of juvenile onset. 
and it has a better prognosis than adult onset disease. A word about Lambert-Eaton myasthenic syndrome, which is another autoimmune disorder associated with small cell carcinoma of lung. It's a paraneoplastic disease. It is a presynaptic neuromuscular junction disorder. We should also know about the drugs that should be avoided in patients with myasthenia. These include depenicillamine, quinidine, procainamide, antibiotics like aminoglycosides, lincomycin, clindamycin, tetracyclines, propranolol, timolol, lithium and magnesium. Lastly, we will look at the prognosis of this disease. From 50 to 80% of patients with ocular myasthenia develop generalized myasthenia within two years of presentation. Patients older than 50 years of age at onset are at a greater risk to develop generalized myasthenia, which is complicated by ventilatory support, than those who develop it at a younger age. 10 to 20% of patients undergo a spontaneous remission. I hope this information helps you. That's all for today. It surely does help, ma'am. Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed the talk. Do follow us and subscribe to our podcast for future updates. Stay tuned.